We are at the tail end of this series on gospel-centered relationships. And here's the thing that you know, I know. Um, you don't have to be married to know that men and women communicate differently. There's just a difference. Different. We just communicate different. But you also don't have to be married to know that if you take literally any two people, okay, just take any two people and pair them together, you're more than likely going to find that even if there are similarities between them, right? Even though things like, oh, like, oh, we just have so much in common. Like, we have so much in common. Even if they have so much in common, you'll know that there are going to be what? Differences. And I appreciate the fact that all of us are different. It's our differences that make life so interesting, right? And as Minnesotans, sometimes interesting literally means interesting. And then sometimes interesting just means, that's interesting. Like, okay, if you're not from Minnesota, that literally means, uh, that's weird, okay? <laughs> that's kind of a little Minnesota. That's, well, that's interesting, uh, aka I wouldn't do that. And the fact that people are different has been the argument for why people say things like this, right? Men are from what? Mars and women are from Venus, right? Or here's another one. Uh, opposites what? Opposites attract, right? Okay, so we all know all this. And because of this kind of thinking, it's natural. It's natural to believe that the right person for you is the person who makes you feel complete, right? That there's something about you that is missing another half that isn't like you. And so you need to find that so that you could be complete. It's natural to think that. And there is where the problem can begin, as we've been talking about over these last four weeks. When you look to a romantic relationship with another person as the source for how you can feel complete, this becomes a problem. This is because at the core of a desire to find someone you feel completes you is an underlying desire to get something out of marriage. To be a consumer, right? Unfortunately, a consumer relationship was never what God intended for marriages. Now, I just got to say this. If you're not someone who has figured out you believe everything uh, you've heard about Jesus and the Bible, like, this might seem a little weird. That, like, why else would you get married other than to be in a relationship with someone who brings something to the relationship, right? Like, why would you do that? Well, a consumer relationship is like what I have with REI. I don't know if any of you shop at REI. I mostly window shop at REI so I could figure out what I want to buy on Amazon and actually the non-name brand version of that because everything's just so expensive at REI. But every once in a while, I'll find some things at REI that I like. And that relationship with REI continues as long as they supply me with the quality outdoor products and apparel at a specific price point that is good for me. Okay. Otherwise, if I can find it at Fleet Farm, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go buy it at Fleet Farm. But the moment I find it like on Amazon or Fleet Farm, you know, with free, you know, free shipping, I don't even have to leave the house. You know, I love Amazon. I don't know about you. I love Amazon. The moment I find it cheaper, it's buy, 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 REI, right? So I don't even have to find it at REI because I'm a consumer of REI. And when you approach marriage as a consumer, you stay committed to a relationship for as long as there's value to you. That's the, that's the downside. Like when you approach a marriage relationship as a consumer, then 
it actually seems natural and it actually seems normal to stay committed to a relationship only in as much as it brings value to you. But marriage, and specifically marriage, according to the scriptures, marriage God's way is an entirely different kind of relationship. Because marriage is not a consumer relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Marriage is not a consumer relationship. It is a covenant relationship. Now, where in the world did we get this idea of marriage as a covenant? Well, it actually starts at the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning of the Bible, we have this book called Genesis. And in the beginning of Genesis, there's a man, well, there's a man named Adam, but a little later on, there's a man by the name of Abram, who we eventually call Abraham. And as you grew up, you would call him Father Abraham. And God made this covenant with Abraham. It was a forever promise. For those of you who've seen the Goonies, it's what? Forever. Right? It's forever. Forever. A forever promise. And what was this promise? That the world through him would be blessed through his descendants, that the worlds would be blessed. And in biblical terms, a covenant is something that you enter into that is a forever promise. It's forever. Listen to what it says in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2, it says this, You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I tell you why, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And there's actually a lot. We can go in here like uh, the prophet was talking to Judah. And Judah was wondering why like God wasn't accepting his worship. And, and God said, it's because you didn't take care of the responsibility that you committed to your wife. And some of you, some of you are wondering like maybe why your relationship with God has been kind of, mm, you know, like just kind of blasé. Like when you throw some prayers out, it feels like he's not even listening. Maybe there's something in your marriage that you're not being committed to. That God is saying, look, I want you to do well in this covenant you made with the wife of your youth. That's just a little side thing. But what I really wanted to, to the really reason I, I, I brought up this text is that from this text and really other places in the scripture, we learn that God views the marriage relationship as a covenant. And so what does this mean? Well, this means that marriage God's way is giving yourself 100% as a forever promise. And just as marriage is not a consumer relationship, marriage is also not a contract. Because I think sometimes when I say covenant, people are like, oh, covenant. Well, it's like a contract, you know, like, well, I promise to do and you promise to do and we'll go do this and we'll make a promise, right? But there is a difference between a contract and a covenant. For instance, a contract is a legal transaction. It's a legal transaction. It's based on two parties getting something from each other. It's two parties getting something from each other. A covenant, on the other hand, is a relational agreement based on both parties giving something. You see the difference, right? A contract is this. Gimme, 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 gimme. A covenant is this. Here's what I will give. Here's what I promise to give. 
not contingent upon the one receiving, but it is actually contingent upon the character of the one giving. We talked about this in the past couple weeks, right? Love, according to 1 John 4, 8, God is love. He's the definition of love. You do not know what love is, but this is how we know what love is, that God gave his son, right? And so therefore, from 1 John, we found out that love is not defined by the one receiving love. Love is not defined or, or delegated out or even measured in terms of how the person who's receiving it, but love, the true measurement of love and for what, and for who love it should be given to is actually based upon the lover and not the love, the character of the one who is loving. A contract is based on compromise. If you do your part, I'll do mine. 50-50, right? You do yours, I'll do mine. You do your part, I'll do mine. Covenant, on the other hand, is based on sacrifice. It says this, I'm going to go ahead and give you 100%. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not expecting anything in return. And, and for, for the one who's a follower of Christ, I, I would hope that if you entered into marriage, that this is actually your thought. That I feel like God has has led me to this point and where God leads me. Uh, it, yes, I do. I, you know, honey, I, I think you're beautiful. I like your face. I, I like the way you fall asleep during movies. I, you know, I just everything about you, you sleep with your mouth open, you breathe. I just love that. I just like, I love that. Just, just kidding. I'm kidding. Right. But that, that is not what love is about. That's not what a covenant is about. A covenant is about 100% giving, no matter what. Because God led me to this. And what God led me to, I'm leaning on God to sustain me through. It's not based on you. It's actually based on something that's happening here. Because buying a car is a contract, right? You buy a car, it's a contract. And at the end of the day, buying a car doesn't fundamentally change your life. Like, it doesn't change your life. But marriage is a covenant, and if revered as one, it will fundamentally change you. It will change your life. For one, you are no longer me, myself, and I. You are us. We So the question is this, to those who are married, how do you view your marriage? Like, just ask yourself, how do you view your marriage? Is it a contract? Phil, some days it feels like it. Well, I didn't say on the day-by-day basis. I'm saying, like, what is your hope? What is your goal? When you think about whether or not you're succeeding in your marriage, are you basing it on the metrics that are bound to a contract perspective, or are you thinking of it in terms of a covenant perspective? How do you view marriage? Is it 50-50, as long as you do your part, I'll do mine, or is it 100% giving myself to you out of trust and out of trustworthiness? Now, I'm not saying that everyone should ever uh, stay in a terrible marriage, because I know some people are like, okay, 
100% all the time? Like, what if it's terrible? Like, what if there's abuse or adultery or abandonment? I'm not saying that no one should ever not leave a terrible marriage. But I will say this. I will say this. In, in 20 years of coming alongside couples, from all kinds of walk of life, from all kinds of backgrounds and experiences, with all kinds of troubles, with all kinds of hardships, when I've seen couples embrace their marriage as a covenant in spite of what culture and a consumer-based and a contract-based mentality on marriage, when I see them embrace it as a covenant and then they work on establishing that and making it real, I've seen God accomplish incredible things in every one of those situations when two people decide to trust God and walk the path of forgiveness and restoration despite even the most extreme hardship. So allow me to ask you again, how do you view your marriage? Is it a contract or is it a covenant? Of course, this is contrary to how our world tends to think of marriage. But I think that followers of Christ would agree that just because our culture thinks one way, it doesn't make it right. Or even the most effective way. And this is where our text comes in today. Our text today, I wanted to take you as we close out this series, comes from Galatians chapter 5. So could you grab whatever copy of the scriptures you have with you and turn there with me? Because when it comes to explaining what a covenant relationship looks like, I think Paul gives some advice here on marriage that I think is really one of the best examples that I can think of. And literally how I want to begin to talk about uh and maybe not in a very controversial way, but it is a reality. And then talk about like how gender plays a role in understanding a covenant relationship that we call marriage. And after speaking about how divisions on the church could be reconciled through taking an attitude of mutual submission, this is Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is giving them instructions. There's some divisions in the church. And Paul says, hey, knock it off. Be kind. Submit to one another. After giving this instruction to a local church, Paul goes on to talk about how this idea of Christ-like mutual submission can begin to apply to other kinds of relationships a believer would encounter in their life. And starting in verse 22, which is the beginning of our text today, Paul begins to talk about the kind of impact Christ-like mutual submission makes on a marriage. Like, if you take this mentality that is supposed to exist between you and me, like people who call each other church, people who call each other followers of Christ, like when we take that and then we take those cues and apply it to our marriages, this is what it looks like. And this is what Paul is saying. And so Paul begins to talk about how this can practically apply to our marriages. Now, I will give you a fair warning before we read this. What we are about to read, I know, it's it's just the climate that we live in. There are 
there are a couple ways that you can get triggered. I don't even know if that's okay to use the word. Is that okay? Can I use the word triggered? Is that, or is that like a, a bad word? I, I know. I use some other words. We, totally out of ignorance. I'm not a political person. And there's like, oh, you probably shouldn't use that word. I'm so sorry. We scrubbed it off the podcast, but whatever. Um, no, we really didn't. But what we're about to read can trigger you if you have experienced fam- family dynamics where words like submission or obedience uh, was used demonstratively. Like, uh, if you grew up in a home or you were in a relationship with someone where phrases like, you need to submit, you just need to obey, you just need to do what I say, was within a context that was demonstrative. Reading this passage can make you go, yeah, yeah. See, this is this is why this is why Christianity is archaic. This is this is you know. I mean, I'm thankful that Christianity got us to the love one another thing. And there's you know, you know, there there's no such thing as a man, you know a man woman female Jew, slew Jay. And I, I like that. I like grace for everyone. But this is the part where like I'm like okay, okay, okay. Like no, this is not for me. This is old fashioned. It can also trigger you if you have allowed the current flow of culture to influence your paradigm of measuring a healthy marital relationship. And what I hope is that no matter how reading this passage of scripture impacts you in its simple reading, because that's actually what we're going to do today. So if if you're looking for like me to deep dive into the, the Greek of every single word and line by line, that's actually not what we're doing today. We're going to read it simply, but no matter how this passage of reading, this passage of scripture impacts you in its simple reading, I hope that you would consider that maybe, that maybe there is a God who loves you and wants the best for you, and that maybe there is a God who not only blesses marriage, but he created marriage, and if God created marriage, then considering how God would want you to reorient your vision for what marriage could and should be, even though it might use words that in this current culture isn't like... Things that people would say is what we tie to healthy marriages. I would hope that what the scripture has to say today is something every person who is married or hopes to be married and wants to follow Jesus should put into practice, should believe. And so, this is where our text comes in today. When it comes to explaining what a covenant relationship looks like, I think Paul's advice here in Ephesians 5 and marriage is one of the best examples of I can think of. And so let's read our text for today. And then we'll go back and look at how a biblical covenant marriage should reorient the way we view marriage and even gender in marriage. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22, it says this. <clears throat> wives. 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 Not husbands. Wives. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Husbands. Not wives. Husbands. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her to make her holy, 
cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that. But holy and blameless. In the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Whoever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it just as Christ does the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Catch this. Um, I, I know I just said this a couple weeks ago, but did you know that there are some things some subjects that happen in everyday life that the scripture doesn't give us enlightenment to. Like, here's Paul, and he's going, I literally met Jesus on the road. I seen him. I was a student of Gamaliel. I know all the law. I know it from, from, you know, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I got, I got discipled by the disciples of Jesus. I was, I, and I, I know, and I, and I've started churches, and I know, and listen, I don't know how this marriage thing works. (laughs) It's a mystery, he says. It's a mystery to me. It's a mystery. But then he goes on to say, Oops, sorry. I lost my place. And then he says this, But I am talking about Christ and the church. So he doesn't understand how that works. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Okay. How was that? How was reading that? Was that okay? Not too triggered? Because listen, if you tend to be more of a fan of what current culture refers to as the uh, trad wife life, you know what I'm talking about? Trad wife life, it's like a, it's a thing now, believe it or not, because everything's cyclical. So there's a movement where everyone was like, yay, I'm a woman, I can be do whatever I want, and I don't need a man. And now they're like, there's this movement of people are like, I want to be a traditional wife. Uh, uh, for those of you who are maybe not into the whole culture thing, um, and maybe you grew up in the church, Maybe you're someone who, who has heard of this idea of, com, uh, of a, con, a contemplarian view of gender roles in marriage, and, and maybe you're a fan of that. Like that's something that really resonates with you, and so you found it to be uh, very meaningful for you. Uh, when you read this verse, you're probably like, "Yeah, you see, the Bible says that God's design for marriage is for a woman to be submissive, so they should stay at home." And, 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 and the husband should make all the decisions and no one should question what the husband says, right? That's, I'm, I'm being facetious, of course. That's the extreme. Okay. I'm not, I'm not picking on contemplary, uh, uh, complementarians. Just, I'm just, just making fun here. Uh, on the other side, I want to be equal op- opportunity offender. Uh, if you're on the other side, and you're more of a fan of what is known as like the egalitarian view of gender roles in marriage, you probably believe that this passage isn't really a passage about gender roles. Like, well, you know, Phil, well, be careful there. I mean, Paul did say there is no Jew, Greek, man, woman, Scythian, free, slave. 
And you're, you're, you've probably maybe listened to some person talk about like how, yeah, this passage is not really about gender roles. It's really just Paul giving examples about what he thinks is mutual submission as it would look like in that culture. Like it's not 2023. It's just that culture. And he's doing his best. I mean, he is a single guy giving married people advice. Like how good can it be? I mean, his intentions were probably great, but he kind of, you know, maybe missed the mark, but he was pointing them in the right direction. Okay, so I made fun of both views. The problem with both views is that both of these kind of views, if you're not familiar, they're these two views, these polar opposite views, especially with this verse in mind. The problem with these views is that there are probably just as many verses that you can use to support one or the other as there are biblical scholars <clears throat> to who have more letters behind their name than I do to purport why a complementarian view of gender roles in marriage is right and why an egalitarian view of gender roles in marriage is right. There's, pro- there's, there's just as many. Now, <clears throat> in light of this, some of you may, asking, may be asking, if this is true, <laughs> then... Phil, why bother even using this passage of scripture on a series concerning gospel-centered relationships? I'm so glad you asked. Because if you understand that the Bible is primarily a collection of writings meant to chronicle and cast a vision for the storyline of the gospel first, and not a book about you or a book about me, then you will come across a passage like this and you'll know that the first question you should ask is not, how is this going to help my marriage? Or what does this passage have to say to me? Instead, you will be asking this question. Well, what does this tell me then about who God is? Like, what does this passage of Scripture Tell me about the character of God and what he's done and what he wants to accomplish in the world. Like, what does that have to do about helping me understand the gospel? Because when that question is asked, and some of you can even begin to start to understand it, Here's what you learn from the passage. And this is like my one, I have one point from this message. And it's this, that God wants to use marriage to display the relationship God has with the community of people he calls the church. And I don't know if you've thought about your marriage in those terms, that one of the most important and primary reason your marriage exists is for this, to show the world and to remind you every day of God's relationship with the community of people he calls his church. And I know that's weird because romance is easier to talk about. Love is easier to talk about. Feelings is easier to talk about. Having a family is easier to talk about. But we got to talk about this. And what do we learn about the churches that submit to Christ when we read the scriptures and observe around 2,000 years of church history? 
Like when you read the scriptures and when you observe two thousands of church history, when you look at the churches who have submitted their lives to Christ, what do we learn about those kind of churches? Well, we learn that Christ leads those kind of churches into Christ-likeness and he leads them into accomplishing the mission of God in the world. Some of you are like, man, Phil, you have like one message that you preach all the time. This sounds a lot like that whole God's just about you accomplishing his great commandments and living his great commission. Yeah. (laughs) And by the way, I'm going to keep preaching that until we get it. I'm going to keep preaching it until, listen, I'm going to keep preaching it until I get it. And I believe it. Until every single waking moment of my life, I wake up and I go, oh my goodness, this is the day that the Lord has made. And not only will I be glad and rejoice in it, but I will love my neighbor as myself. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul. And I will view my life as one being sent by God to go and make disciples everywhere I go. And until I can wake up every single day and like remember that, like I remember to brush my teeth, like I remember to eat breakfast, like I remember to make my cup of tea in the morning, until I can do that and feel confident and say with integrity, like that is part of the rhythm of my life, I'm going to at least preach this, at least for me. And maybe you need to be reminded too that that is the goal and the purpose of your life as a follower of Jesus. In other words, a church that submits to Christ Our church submits to Christ so that Christ can make them reflect him more and more in the world, as well as accomplish the mission of God in the world more and more. And there's no greater reason why a church would submit to Christ. And when it comes to marriages for wives who have decided to submit their lives to Jesus, this encouragement is to allow you to have, to take this new life you have in Christ and give you a new perspective in all of life. And this means that there's something unique to what the scripture is saying about submission to husbands that is completely different than what the culture has defined as submission in marriage. And while I'm talking to wives, I should point out that Paul is talking to wives here. So husbands, if you hear what is being said and hear what is being communicated and you're tempted to get really amped up about how your wife should really submit to you more than listen, you would be completely out of line. I believe that Paul was addressing something very specific to wives that would help encourage wives to be the kind of people who continue to demonstrate their lives, that they are growing in Christ-likeness, as well as participating in seeing the mission of God being accomplished in the world through them. And I know this because when a woman asks herself this question, am I living a life of submission to my husband as the church does so to Christ? When a woman asks herself that, there is a sense of clarity about how they are viewing and treating their husband. That is different than how a husband would answer whether or not they're submitting and respecting. And the conclusion the wives come to is what God wants them to come to and not what you want. And for instance, like, husbands, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but uh, just yesterday I was telling Leona that I needed to purchase a new chair mat in my office. You know, the chair mat, you know, they put it so you're, if you're on carpet, you can roll your chair. And I told her, I said, I need a heavier duty one because it, it's just, it, it cracked. And I said, I need to get a heavier duty one uh, than the broken one I have because our carpet is high pile carpet. Now, 
before I tell you how how I interpreted what happened next, uh, let me tell you that what I have since learned about the conversation is this. Uh, Leona was surprised that the carpet in the office would be defined by the words that I used, high pile. And, and, uh, and really, uh, in her response to me, she really wanted to let me know that she didn't realize that we had this so-called high pile carpet. That's, that's what I have learned. Is that correct? Right. Okay. I've learned my lesson. Okay. This is yesterday. Uh, here's how it was from my perspective. Okay. Same scenario. Uh, I told Leona that we need a heavier duty mat because we have a high pile carpet. And what I heard, what I heard, what I heard was this. Liar! Liar! You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You just want to spend more money. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Now, some of you are like, okay, what did she actually say? This is what she said. This is what she said. I was like, we need a new mat because we have high pile carpet. Here's what she said. She goes, oh, wow. (laughs) That was it. That was it. That was it. That was all she said. She said, oh, wow. And of course, I went into, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, well, you, do you know? I looked, I, well, I looked, I looked and it said, you take a, you take a paper clip, you put it in the back, you put it in there, you put it in there, you push it in the fat, and you go to the stuff floor, and then you look at it, and then you measure it, and then you hold it because of the ruler, and then if it's high pile, if it's above one inch, and because it's above one inch, and I put it in there, and, it's, and she was like, whoa, I just said, wow. And then like in that moment, I was just like, ah, oh, oh, okay. Those of you who are husbands can understand, right? What it is that Paul was saying to women, and what he doesn't want to say to you. Because listen, if you try to interpret what Paul is trying to say to women, you're going to misunderstand it, just like I misunderstood my wife. So this is about women listening to this question. Listen, is there anything in your life that is lacking submission to your husband and respect, as so the church does to Christ? The real question is this, where is it that you're struggling to exercise the kind of Christ-like submission and respect to your husband that the scripture encourages you to display? That's the real question. Maybe if that's too general a question, another way you can ask it is this, wives, how could you display submission and respect to your husband in a way that demonstrates that you are becoming more like Christ and are committed to accomplishing, to having God accomplish his mission in the world through you? That's maybe maybe there's that's a different way to say it. Like, how is it in the way that you're treating your husband? You are proving you are actually being like Jesus. I didn't say right. That's different. How is it in the way that you're treating your husband? You are proving that you are committed to the mission of God in the world. I didn't say right, did I? Or most correct. In fact, I think a great conversation that a husband and wife could have with each other uh, when they're in a good place. is where a wife, like the church does to Christ, sits in a conversation with her husband and confesses where the Lord is revealing to her where she's struggling to submit. Like, I think a great conversation a wife could have with her husband is go, you know, husband, I've been really praying 
And I've been really asking the Lord to help reveal some stuff. And here's what he's been revealing to me. And I think one of the things that, the reason why I think, I mean, I'm biased. I think Leona is a great person. And, and the course, and the reason why it's worked out like, is because one of the things that Leona has done over the years is she's often come to me and said, hey, like, hey, I, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm really struggling with this. It's really hard to support you. And sometimes it's like when you're being ugly and when you're being nasty, but she's still saying, like, she's telling me, she's like, hey, look, I want to treat you like Christ expects the church to submit to him, but like, it's really hard right now. And this is where I'm struggling, but I want to be better. In turn, this can give husbands the opportunity to follow the advice that Paul gives. In verse 25, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the word. Now, before I go on talking to husbands, I should point out to all the wives in here that Paul is not talking to you. Okay? So if you're a wife and you hear what is being communicated and you're tempted to get really amped up about how your husband really needs to love you more and really sacrifice for you more and start cleaning up after himself more because, you know, Christ was into cleansing. It might have been about the word, but yet it used the word cleansing. And you need, to, you need your husband to, listen, you would be out of line. But if you're a husband, don't you get a sense even without even going into the study of the original Greek, as well as the historical and cultural context of Paul's advice, don't you get a sense of what you really know what Paul is actually referring to here? Like, when you look at all that Jesus did, like when you think about all that Jesus did for you and how he demonstrated great love towards us, even while we were living in rebellion against him, don't you get a sense of what God is asking of you? Like, if you're a follower of Christ, doesn't the Holy Spirit begin convicting your heart of the ways that you don't look like Jesus in your relationship with your wife? You know, the Jesus that Paul tells us in Philippians that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died, not just any death, he died a what? Criminal's death on a cross. Like, husbands, don't you get a sense, even automatically, just knowing, like, when I say, hey, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? You get a sense already of where you're not meeting that. And so husbands... The question I want you to ask yourself is this. How could you display love to your wife in a way that whenever someone asks why you treat your wife the way you do, your reply is simply, I love my wife this way because this is how Jesus loved me. Like, catch this. Remember, I said, the reason why we wanted, I wanted to go in this series is I wanted to equip each and every one of you who loves and follow Jesus to be able to understand that the realities of marriage in your circle of influence, not only your marriage, but your, you know, your co-worker's marriage that isn't doing so well, and your, 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 your sister's marriage, or your, the, the marriages that are happening around you, or the relationship, it'll give you the opportunity, if you remember, to speak the gospel. And I want you to be able to know, like, yeah, Galatians chapter 5 says this. This is what it says. And listen, what if we as husbands could live our lives in such a way 
out in the open, in front of everyone we know, and when someone from work says, hey, you want to come out and do this? And you're like, eh, nah, the old ball and chain said, I got I to gotta stay home with the kids. What if instead we said, we said things like this? You know what? Hey, why don't you come out with me? No, no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. Uh, my, my, my wife, uh, like, she needs me. And then when they say, like, well, why would you do something like that? Come on, man. Nobody does that. And you could say, well, you know what? Um, I know you're gonna think this is weird, but I actually follow Jesus. And this is what Jesus does for the church. And I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm not perfect, but that's what I'm trying to do. Like, what if, what if we did that? Speaking of how Jesus loved husbands, if you were honest with yourself, are there areas of your life right now where the actions and decisions of your life have not been considered in light of how this would or would not reflect that you desire to model and lead your wife towards godliness? Are there areas of your life that don't look like giving up being right for being humble? Are there ways that you're treating your wife that you yourself would never want to be treated? Do you talk to her in a way that you wouldn't tolerate from other people? Do you jump to conclusions about her in ways that you'd be offended if other people jump to conclusions? That's me preaching that to myself. Like, that's 100% me. I do that all the time. I just told you the story, right? Okay. Do you not give her the kind of grace that you would expect others to give to you? Listen, if it's true that God's purpose for marriage is to display the relationship of God the relationship God has with the community of people he calls his church. And listen, I believe that Christians in marital relationships would begin seeing their marriages as God intended. That marriages would be covenants that are not dependent on the performance of the other, but are predicated on the faithfulness of the covenant maker. Wives would welcome the journey of increasingly learning to exercise Christ-like submission and respect towards their husbands. Not because women should be submissive, but because the ultimate goal of their lives is to become more like Jesus and be engaged in seeing the mission of God be accomplished in the world. And there's a mystery here somehow that when wives submit to husbands, they do become more like Christ and they position themselves to be the kind of people through whom God accomplishes his mission in the world. And husbands, remember... You haven't been invited to the conversation about what this means. Instead, husbands, you would begin to increasingly welcome as well as engage in learning to love your wife selflessly, just as Christ loved the church. You would welcome the opportunity to live your life in such a way as to see your wife. Listen, every decision you would make is not about right. Listen, as a fellow guy, that's... At the end of the day, that's kind of like, that's really, that's all important. Like, what's the right decision? Like, I don't know, like how we feel. Let's make the right decision. But what if there's a different metric? What if we would welcome the opportunity to live our life in such a way as to see our, to see our wives love Jesus more and more? Like, what if we, what if we imagined and, and, and viewed every decision of how we interact with our wife and how we treat her and say, is this helping her love Jesus more? Like, if I'm supposed to be even that reflection of Jesus, would she love Jesus more? Like, would she love Jesus more because of the way I'm practicing humility? With the way I'm treating her with respect as I would want to be treated? Like, 
is the way I'm treating my wife. Does it cause her to love Jesus more? Or is it really just establishing that I want to be Jesus? (laughs) I want to be Lord. Because there's a difference. There's a difference. Well, I am over. But that's all I had to say about that. And I hope you would understand that marriage does not complete us, right? Relationships don't complete us. According to the scripture, we who are followers of Christ have been made new in Christ. Everything that we need for life and godliness is found in him. In fact, Ephesians tell us now to him who is able to accomplish infinitely more than we're able to comprehend or even ask. That means that you in Christ are not incomplete, but you are now complete in Christ. And so then if marriage doesn't complete us, then what does it do? As we said in the beginning, what does it do? Well, then marriage complements us. Because marriage is a covenant. And if we see marriage as a covenant and live that out, maybe, just maybe, the world around us will begin to view church, because it should be, in a way that looks more and more like how God intended.